We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. episode here of setting the pace we are back we're talking more things draft because we are just one week away Fachi, from the nba draft we got kristen peak from yahoo sports joining us today to talk about these prospects but before we get into that jonathan gavoni jeremy Wu from espn they put out a mock draft today lots of interesting tidbits here some around the pacers some not around the pacers where do you want to start Fach? hmm maybe let's go with uh some of the, the draft picks that could be available we're hearing things like the Mavs are listening to offers at pick 10. So that sounds like, hmm, okay. And, you know, by reports, it doesn't sound like they're asking for a whole lot. But then one of the other things that also got me intrigued was the Lakers are exploring trades with teams that own multiple first-round picks. Mm-hmm. They have pick 17. Hey, I know a team that has multiple first-round picks. And that team happens to be the Indiana Pacers, who, in that article, reported are making calls regarding picks 26 29 and potentially 32 yeah and that's not new news <laughs> we all no. know that's what they're doing um other interesting tidbits here Fachi. i think those were all good we'll talk about those here in a quick second but other interesting stuff they have jairus walker going to the pacers at pick seven but in this at the very bottom jonathan gamoni said jairus walker asar thompson who is working out later this week for the pacers and taylor Hendricks are said to be their top two candidates i was kind of Confused by that because he said three names and said they're top two candidates. Maybe he meant three. Maybe he meant, you know, top tier candidates. I don't know. But I, I thought it was really cool to hear that Asara is going to be working out for the team. Not sure if Amen will be working out as well, but they've been kind of doing their tour together. So we'll see if Amen comes in. But if not, at least Asar will be here. And other than that, they also said, this is from Jeremy Wu. He said uh, they, they had the magic taking Asar Thompson at six. He said, Asar Thompson isn't expected to fall much further 
as he's thought to be strongly in play for Indiana and Washington as well. So this could be smokescreen season. We know that it is, but it seems like there's a little bit more intrigue in Asar Thompson at seven than people are uh, maybe originally thought. It very much does seem that way. Like it is heating up and I'm excited for it because Asar is someone that, you know, it feels like he has jumped his brother uh, by, by, you know, a lot of reports. And, you know, I am very intrigued in that. The Pacers are also working out Grady Dick. So now you feel like they're getting a great look at just about everybody that's in that range from five to 10 ish. And uh, man, I, I just feel like, this time around is just so exciting. Like last year was obviously exciting, but I feel like this year so many prospects are coming in. Asar Thompson, you got to strongly consider him if he's there. And that's the thing that now it feels like the Pacers are in a good spot for one of, of Jarris Walker, Taylor Hendricks, or Asar Thompson to be on the board at pick seven. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting with this mock draft fight, they had Leonard Miller falling to 26 of the Pacers. I, I kind of thought that All was a little bit surprising. Place. That he was mm-hmm. down that far. They had Ben Shepard going 29 to the Pacers. And I'll have to look up who they had at 32 because I uh, have that on my ESPN Plus app that I have, but or account that I have. But yeah, just a, just a really interesting kind of thing because Leonard Miller has been all over the place. I've seen him in the lottery. I've seen him in the 17 to 18 range. I've seen him, you know, going to the Nets at 20. And then for him to fall all the way there was a little bit surprising. I do know this. They had Gigi Jackson falling to pick 35 by the Boston that. Celtics. That was which, wild. That is just crazy to me. I can't imagine that. So, uh, <laughs> but I, I do think that it's hard to get a good read on him. So, at 32, they had the Pacers taking Bryce Sensiball, which that was another one that was a little bit surprising to see him fall completely out of the first round. That's really good value if you're getting a guy like Bryce Sensiball at 32 when it feels like a couple weeks ago he could have been in that 15 to 20 range. But it just gets you so excited. Like, that's why I really wanted pick 32. And that's when people are like, it's a second-round pick. It's, a, it's basically the best second-round pick. And when you think about guys that you just talked about, Bryce Sensabaugh, Gigi Jackson, the fact to be able to snag one of those at pick 32 is awesome. The value is through the roof. So I would be extremely excited with either of those players. However, I would be a little bit surprised if they are on the board pick 32, and then I'd be even more surprised if the Pacers passed up on him. The thing with this draft is, like, after the top 12, 13, 14 guys, really after the lottery, it feels like 15 to 35 is interchangeable. So, yeah, seeing these guys fall, I think a lot of it's, like, our good friend Michael Scott says, beauty of the eye of the uh, beauty in the eye of the beholder. And a, a little plug here, Michael Scott will be joining us uh, tomorrow on the episode. So, want to apologize that we weren't able to get him on Tuesday. I had to reschedule that, and that'll be out Friday for you. But we love Michael Scotto. He's a an awesome guy. So we're going to have that one out for you Thursday night, Friday morning, somewhere around that time. But, uh, yeah, so any other thing else out here, Fachi? I saw there was a rumor around saying that the uh, the Warriors are looking to trade Jonathan Kaminga for a top pick in this draft. Of all timing. I mean, think about that. We just <laughs> talk about that, and that report comes out. Hey, I'll own it. I just – Put the question out there. Would you trade Kuminga for, you know, Kuminga and pick 19 for the Pacers' seventh overall pick? And whew, Pacer fans were not too happy. They were like, what? This is crazy. Then you had some people that are like, hmm, actually, this is interesting. But look, guys, that's kind of what the going rate's going to be. Kuminga's not going to be had for late firsts. 
I think it's something you got to make a call about. Not saying it's a home run deal, but I think it's hey, the Pacers should pick up the phone, see what the Warriors are asking for. And in that report, it sounds like they're asking for a high draft pick, aka a pick around seven. Yeah, as I as I kind of thought about this conversation we had yesterday discussing potential guys we would trade the seventh overall pick straight up for. I had Kaminga, I believe, at five on my list. And I I still feel like his value is so low right now that it does seem like the Warriors would be getting incredible value for him if they were to get seven straight up for him. So I, I definitely didn't feel good about it. Um, put him on my list because I think he's one of those guys you can talk yourself into. And that's what I've just kept reiterating over and over on the pod. But I'll just say it again. Like, I can see the case for it, but the people that are screaming like, oh, we've seen what he is, you know, he'll never be better. It's like, are we are we really going to say that? Because he's only 21 years old, right? So 20. 20. So, you know, probably 21 next year. But still, like, yeah. I'm just saying, like, you're, you, you're not a finished product after year two of your NBA basketball career. So, like, no. just relax. Like, it, it's one of those things where he's got so much potential and time to improve upon his game. You can't just flat out say, well, he's we already know what he is. Let's take the the risk and the mystery box, like you like to say. For I pick mm-hmm. seven. Like if you want that, that's fine. But like you can't like you could say I want the mystery box at seven without putting down Kaminga saying that, oh, we already know what exactly. he is. He's a bust. Yeah, exactly. that to me is we gotta find the fine balance. But uh yeah, I think I'm a little bit more hesitant on Kaminga for seven straight up. I think it'd be fun to have him on the roster, but <laughs> at what yeah. cost? I think you could probably get him for less than we were talking about yesterday. I'm sure you could, but we just don't have like pick 12 to offer or anything right. like that. If the Pacers did, look, that'd be fantastic. But the Warriors aren't going to care about a bunch of late firsts that are not really going to make much of a difference. Maybe there's a scenario where the Pacers are able to offer up next year's first, you know, where the team is better and it's not seventh overall. Maybe that pick ends up being, you know, closer to the 14 range. I don't know. We'll see. And plus, I'm sure the Warriors would want a top pick, but let's see what they end up getting when all, you know, push comes to shove. So maybe mm-hmm. that value is far less. Well, that remains to be seen. Either way, like I try to tell people, I like it. I don't love it. It's not a deal the Pacers have to make. It's a deal they should discuss. That's all. No, that's that's a fair way to put it. So, Fachi, let's go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Yahoo Sports draft analyst, Kristen Peake. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early 
so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All right, Pacer Nation, she's back. She joined us last year before the draft, and we're going to talk all things uh, NBA draft with her. Kristen Peak from Yahoo Sports. Kristen, how are you doing? Uh, I'm great. You know, this is my favorite time of the year. I've spent an entire year plus covering these guys and mocking them in mock drafts. And we're only like a week away to see if I was right <laughs> or who <laughs> I was right on. Uh, spoiler alert, I'm pretty sure I have the number one pick down. But after that, it's anybody's game. Yeah, that's that's pretty pretty fair. I think if, if there's any change at one, I think that'd be the biggest shocker in all of NBA there's or not, history. There's not. So, uh, but that number two pick, it, it does seem like it's kind of back and forth between Scoot and and Brandon Miller. And for me, it's just like I, I keep hearing all this Brandon Miller to to Charlotte stuff, but it feels like a smokescreen. We got smokescreen last year for the longest time with Paolo Boncaro going number one. Uh, Jabari Smith seemed like the slam dunk pick at number one, and then that changed on the day of the draft. So let's just talk about why are why are like the Hornets maybe trying to keep this hush-hush, or like what's the whole big debate here between Scoot and Brandon Miller? Because I think Scoot personally is on a totally different tier than Brandon Miller. Absolutely. If you're looking at best available prospect, it's got to be Scoot Henderson. What he's done in the two years dominating at such a young age. His body looks ridiculous. We saw what he did against Victor Wimbenyama this past year um, in the G League. I mean, he shut it down early, but in one of the games in November, he had 16 assists against uh, the G League, which you're talking about grown men, got players that have been in the league that are trying to get back in the league, put some, you know, uh, some... Uh, dinner on their plates, you know, with their family and everything. So they're fighting. So this isn't just like weak competition. So you look at what Brandon projects as, you know, people have com uh, compared him to a cross between, um, you know, a, a young Russell Westbrook and a healthy Derek Rose. Or I saw another comp recently that is maybe a little bit more realistic, but Baron Davis in his prime. You know, so you see what that projects as. He's like, how can you pass up on that? Well, you already have your star point guard in LaMelo Ball. And what do you want to do? You want to create something around him. And Brandon Miller is the perfect complementary piece. I mean, he's 6'9". He's going to bring defensive versatility. Um, he was the best uh, three-point shooting forward in, in not only the SEC, but I think in all college basketball. Before the tournament, before he completely disappeared, he shot close to 42% on seven, seven attempts per game. So... I understand the debate and like I just was at uh, I was in Colorado Springs for the U19 USA basketball tryouts and I, I ran into one of the Charlotte scouts there and I said listen if I'm having this debate daily I can't imagine that you guys have made your decision yet in the front office so I know this is going to be a game time decision of course there's going to be smokescreen heading up to it I mean we're seeing that with all sorts of scenarios playing out. That's why this is the best and the worst time of the year for me, because I've got to chase down what's real and what's not. But um, for me, I don't know. I think they go Brandon Miller. Mm. I do think they go Brandon Miller, because you talked about that fit. It does feel like a seamless fit. And also, I love your, your comp on Baron Davis. That's one that I hadn't heard that I really do agree with. But we know there's tears in this draft. There's Wembenyama. Then, of course, there's Brandon Miller and Scoot. 
But who do you feel is the closest player to that top three after those top three? It's got to be a men Thompson from overtime elite. I mean, and him and Asar, I think are, are much more evenly matched than people think. You know, I talked to different experts, you know, in the NBA draft space, and they think a man is a much better prospect and he's going to be a much better pro than a SAR. But I don't really see it that way. I mean, I understand what they're saying when they play side by side. A SAR takes more of a secondary um, place in terms of like ball handling and and being that secondary option. But when a SAR had to have the ball in his hands the year before, when the two of them didn't play with one another. He was the leading scorer in the league. He was the leading shot blocker. I mean, this dude was unbelievable. So I want to say the next tier after that would have to be a men and a star Thompson, Cam Whitmore. That's probably the next tier from like four to six. And then seven is the Pacers, you know, where it gets, it gets fun and interesting. Well, let's go right there then, because I did hear you on the radio uh, in Indianapolis earlier this week. <laughs> and we talked and you talked a little bit about Taylor Hendricks and you said it Seven, it just feels a little bit too early for him. But it seems like he could be a good fit for the Pacers, and I know that you shouldn't always draft best fit. But Jairus Walker's right there, too, and we've had an ongoing debate on this show, and our fans have been very divided on who they like or who they prefer between those two players. So I know you have Jairus Walker mocked to the Pacers in your latest mock draft, but, I mean, maybe make the case for both of them in terms of which one you think makes the most sense. No, absolutely. And, you know, the more college coaches I talk to – the more people in the space, the more they're saying, it doesn't matter if it's seven or 10, like Taylor Hendricks is going to be in consideration. Like no team is going to trade down three spots for a player that they really want inside their organization. So I think the difference between, you know, Jairus and Taylor um, isn't as big as people think. Like people look at Taylor Hendricks, they're like, oh my gosh, three and D dream. He can shoot from the outside. He's got great length and size. He's got upside. You know, he doesn't really rebound all that well. At least he didn't at UCF. He did in the AAU circuit. But, you know, there is a lot of room for growth there. And then you look at Jairus, who's just like a complete unit. Like he's 6'8", 250. He's versatile enough defensively where he can bang it down low if you want to play a small ball five or a step out and guard the the guards off the wing in the pick and roll. So, like, to me, you know, you look at it and there isn't that much of a difference, but if you want someone that can come in right away and that doesn't really need that much adjustment, I think Jairus is the better player. And also a lot of people don't know this, but like Jairus is like an incredible teammate. Like he's always talking during practice. He's always laughing. I was at IMG several times. Like he, he, there's, there's no off the court issues in terms of like uh, locker room issues or disagreements. You're not going to find that with him as a player. And I can already see like him and Tyrese Halliburton becoming like best friends, just the way their personalities would, would mesh and match. So I don't know. That's why I'm leaning towards Jairus, but it would not, it would not surprise me at all. Cause I know there's going to be a lot of surprises in this draft. If Taylor Hendricks went as high as five to Detroit. Wow. I mean, that would definitely be the highest that I've seen him. A lot of yes. times the, you commonly see him around 10, but just to throw a little wrench into things, we heard that the Pacers have interest in working out Asar Thompson. Say Asar Thompson is on the board at, at pick seven. It obviously gets very interesting for the Pacers. Now, it's not expected that Asar, Taylor Hendricks, and Jarris Walker would be there, but say the Pacers are deciding between maybe Taylor Hendricks and Asar Thompson. At that point, what do you think the Pacers should go with? 
I mean, if I'm the Pacers, you got to look at the long-term game. You got to take that swing and you got to take best available prospect. And that's a Sar Thompson. I mean, these, these two I've seen quite a bit of, and they have all-star potential just in the way they approach the game, their mindset, their work ethic is insane. I mean, they just want to be the best player possible. You know, they don't lack confidence. Their shot is going to fall. They're going to figure it out. So at seven, if you're looking for just long-term hit, you definitely go with a SAR and you just figure it out, you know, whether that's the secondary unit unit and let them grow into it. But if you want someone that's a vi- that's best for your team and for the situation, then I think you go Taylor, right? Because you need that outside shooting and a SAR mm-hmm. is still a little bit behind of that, although he is a better outside shooter than a men. Yeah, his his shot is definitely further developed than a man. I think a man's going to have to really improve upon that uh, for his game. But yeah, that's that's an interesting point too because we saw last year Benedict Mather in six overall pick. He came off the bench for the majority of the season, and I think it actually benefited him a little bit being able to go up against you know second units in the uh, in the NBA and slowly work his way into kind of becoming a starter eventually at the end of the year. So that is something as well that that could be very beneficial, but. One last guy that's kind of in this range, too, is Cam Whitmore. He had an individual workout for the Pacers as well. Don't really believe he's going to be on the board at seven. I feel like he is going to be a lock for a top five, top six pick just because of m- most of the things we've seen. But what do you like about his game? What do you like about his fit? Because it does seem like it could be a little bit redundant with Benedict Matherin. Absolutely. And with Cam Whitmore, I think he won't go past five. It's, he's either going to go to Houston or Detroit or someone's going to trade up for him because of his size at six, eight. He's kind of like one of those bigger guards that's very versatile. You can plug him in the wing. He can be a playmaker. Um, He's got that NBA-ready body, so he doesn't need to add any weight. And I keep telling people because they watch the film from Villanova, and they're like, I don't see it. How is he a top-five pick? But I say just watch all of the Villanova film and go back and watch last summer and what he did in the FIBA Americas. He was the MVP there. He showed a little bit more... um, playmaking ability and also shot creation. Like he was a little bit more creative with that. And also I think he was the best player at the McDonald's all American game and hoop summit. So like you look at like the whole body of work and it's not crazy to picture Cam Whitmore going in the top five, but if he does fall to seven, I mean, yeah, it's, I think it's going to be the wild, wild West, honestly, like one trade can like shake up the entire draft. And if there's a year that that's going to happen, I imagine it could be this year. That's a great point. But also when you talk about throwing out the film this year, it feels like there's so many prospects who are like, well, you know, in high school, he showed something completely different and it just didn't work out freshman year. And one of those players is Gigi Jackson. What are your thoughts on how to properly evaluate someone like Gigi, who was the top recruit for 2023, but he reclassified, goes to South Carolina, just does not have the type of year that anybody hoped for. And now he might be projected as a late first round pick. What are your thoughts on Gigi in this draft? You know what, Gigi, uh, like you said, he was a top prospect coming out. He reclassified. And there's always big jumps from high school to college and then college to the NBA. And I think forwards especially have a harder time adjusting to the college game because they're going up against guys that are four years older than them at some point. You know, and so they have to get stronger. They have to adjust to the pace. They have to adjust to the guard play. And then that jump also from college to the NBA, there's also some growing pains. So for Gigi, I mean, I don't necessarily think he had an awful season at South Carolina. We saw glimpses of what he could be. But I also think like 
he's the, the maturity in his game. He needs to mature a little bit more on and off the court. And that's where some teams that are already established kind of in that back late first round that already are, are playoff teams, they're going to hesitate and pause and not necessarily jump at him because of what his upside and potential is. But you know what? I, I still, I will never write off a player that is still so young and shows so much upside. So I still think there's a right fit for Gigi and this could be a blessing for him, you know, going to a place that's a little bit more established that can be patient with him as he grows through these, you know, growing pains and maturity from basically going from high school to the pros, you know, in in one year. Yeah, I, I definitely think he's got the most interesting case for a guy that you could take late in the first round, maybe, and really feel like that could be the seal of the draft in a couple of years because he's got the upside there. But uh, another player that's working out for the Pacers on an individual workout on Thursday, Grady Dick. And this one was a little bit of a stunner for Pacer fans because, you know, Grady Dick at seven seems a little bit like a reach. And I will just say this, a lot of Pacer fans just have PTSD from Larry Bird selecting every white prospect in uh, NBA, or in, in, I should say NBA draft history. So I would say just looking at Grady Dick's overall game, what does he bring to the table and how good of a prospect is he really? Are we overthinking this a little bit too much with him? I don't think so. And you got to think like Indiana, they're doing their due diligence, right? So they put the feeler out there to the player and the agent like, hey, do you want to come in for a workout? And it's up to them to say, yeah, we'll come work out for you. So this isn't necessarily like Indiana going, oh, we might be considering you at seven, but they, they obviously want to get eyes on him for a reason. Like if there's a possibility where the players that they're targeting aren't there at seven, then they might trade back, you know, to nine where the, the jazz are and, or 10 where the Mavericks are. And um, so I think they're just trying to do their due diligence. And look, I don't think Grady Dick is that, he's not a bad player. He can space the floor. He's way more athletic and bouncy that, than what meets the eye. I think he has a high IQ. We saw that a lot at Kansas. I thought he played way above his years, especially at a veteran team, you know, and he was one of the one, two, three options every time getting touches on offense. So I think he's someone that he's not Christian Brown. Like we saw what he did for the, NBA champs, Denver Nuggets. He's not that, but you, he's got the same pedigree and they, they defensively, they, they're not the same, but I think he brings more of an offensive weapon to any NBA team that can, that can impact an organization right away. Yeah. Now he is also a really good shooter that I think can help you on day one from that standpoint. But in your opinion, just gut feeling who could perhaps be like the Jalen Williams of this draft who's picked outside the top 10 that maybe doesn't make a run at Rookie of the year because, you know, you got a guy like Wimbanyama there, but really outperforms his draft spot. Right. Uh, I mean, the biggest, flashiest name right now that's coming up is Victor's teammate, Bilal Kulubali, who was an absolute monster during their finals run um, in the pro A over in France. Like, this is a player, he's six, seven, no, he's like six, seven, has a seven foot three wingspan, one of the youngest players in this draft class. And he's going to be a draft and stash guy. So that is the guy that I think is going to surprise a lot of people where he's picked. But in terms of who's going to impact um, the game, sort of like Jalen 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 Williams did, and, and be in that MVP conversation, I honestly think. Oh gosh, that's a great question. <sighs> Maybe I think Ben Shepard is going to surprise a lot of people one where he's picked and how impactful he is just 
as a shooter and as a do it all guard. Um, I also think uh, Omax Olivier or uh, the the kid from Marquette Olivier. Um, I just know Maxence Prosper. Max, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he he's he's worked out with sixteen different teams. Um, I think a lot of teams like his upside, and he's someone you can either plug into an established team right away and just be like, all right, dude, do your thing. Or he can, he's someone that you can build around with a team coming up. So I think those three players are going to be a little bit of the surprises in the draft. Yeah. Prosper just worked out for the Pacers too. And I think that'd be a really nice fit because they just need wings. I mean, they just don't have a lot of wings on their team right now. So that does make a lot of sense, but one guy that I really liked last year and I thought, man, if he falls in the second round, this could be a nice project pick. And I thought he had a good turnaround season with the Ignite, and that's Leonard Miller. Uh, yeah. I think this is a really intriguing guy because he's been all over the place in terms of mocks. And to, based on, you know, where people have him at, I've seen him in the lottery. I've seen him, you know, in the mid-20s, late-20s. It's just like, where is this guy going to fall? Uh, but I wonder, like, maybe just talk about him and maybe City Suzuko as well from the G League and maybe some intel you've gotten from NBA scouts and stuff, like how they value the G League versus maybe college basketball. For Leonard Miller, I mean, I, I definitely think he's a first-round draft prospect. Just from talking to different teams, I think his draft range is anywhere from, you know, 18-ish to 30. I don't think he falls out of the first round at all. And like you said, like, he's a wing. There's a lot to like about him. And I think Scoot Henderson did him a lot of favors because Scoot was one that was creating a lot for him and, and getting him those double-doubles in the G League. And, you know, he's young as well, and he's got the length. He's got the upside, like you said. NBA teams, they want wings. They want versatile wings that they can plug and play. And that's Leonard Miller. And with Sissoko, I mean, he's such an anomaly because there were times that we saw him and he was great. And then there were times that he just kind of fell off and it looked like he had bad hands or he was behind on defense and he he couldn't quite keep up. So he's someone that I'm still a little like, uh, I don't know. Like I definitely wouldn't take a swing at him in the first round. He's more of like a mid-second round to me. But still, like you cannot... You, you cannot uh, beat what his upside is with his size and like his little tendencies. Those are things that teams can work out. Who are a few players that you feel like really boosted their draft stock into that lottery range over the past month or so that have really been like kind of the riser since last season ended? The biggest name has to be Derek Lively out of Duke. I mean, this is a guy, he, he kind of disappeared in the one year. They, Duke ran everything through um, Kyle Filipowski, and and Derek didn't really take, I think he attempted seven total threes in his one year in college. And in high school, he was the stretch four. Like, he was playing alongside Jalen Duran, and he was doing the pick and pop and hitting threes. And so I think teams forgot about that until they saw him in the pro day, and he was shooting unbelievably. So I think he's going to be at play as high as eight, probably won't go there. But um, I mean, I'm hearing the Mavericks. I don't think he'll fall past, you know, um, the the magic at 11 and definitely not past OKC at 12. I mean, can you imagine him and Chet Holgram in the front court going up, matching up with uh, Victor Wimbanyama? I mean, like, that's just a, I want to see that. I want to mm -hmm. see that matchup. So. So he's got to be like the biggest riser. And um, I heard Jalen Hood-Shafino is working out very well for teams. And, you know, he was out here for the Jazz. And I heard his workout was like that was one of his best workouts. So them sitting at nine, that wouldn't surprise me because they're looking for a primary ball handler. But it might be something where if Taylor Hendricks is there at nine, 
they might go for either Hood Shafino or maybe Kobe Bufkin at 16. So it's it's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of different scenarios. And like for me, doing a mock draft, it's like I mean I, I don't I have no idea what's gonna happen. Yeah, it, it's it's tough because you're just trying to like make the most sense of like what player fits with this team at this pick and that kind of stuff, and then your range and all that. So you know, mock drafts are always fun to look at, but you know they are mock drafts for a reason. Um. You did talk about Ben Shepard, a senior, but I'm curious, any other upperclassmen in this draft that you think, you know, if they get drafted, whether it be, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, like they could contribute right away and maybe be a, a role player on a, on a team, maybe maybe in the playoff area too. Jaime Hawkes is one of the buzziest names I'm hearing for upperclassmen right now. I mean, I think Caleb Martin and his role in Miami is going to make Jaime a lot of money because everyone's looking like, oh, who's the Caleb Martin in this draft class? And it's got to be Jaime. I mean, he's the do-it-all, tough-as-nails player who loves to compete, uh, will do anything. Like, I think that UCLA has this award. It's this dog bone award, and it's uh, whoever has the has won the most 50-50 balls in the season. Or it's each game, and then whoever wins the most for the, for the season gets the dog bone. And Jaime won it every single year he was at UCLA. <laughs> so you want someone who's going to go out and compete every night, who plays the right way, who gets to his spots, who's a great defender, has good size. Like it's Jaime Hawkins. I mean, I, I, I'm not even overthinking this. I think he will probably, he could probably go in the early twenties. Mm. That's the highest I think he could go. He was someone that worked out for the Pacers, you know, right when they started the workout. So that, that is intriguing. That kind of really put him on my radar. And I do think that's someone who has had a lot of buzz over the last few weeks. But, you know, say you got your GM hat on and, you know, the Pacers, they have five picks in this draft, 7, 26, 29, 32, and we'll just say 55. It exists. Not going to do much with it. But what would be their ideal scenario when you only want to bring in, say, two rookies? You know, what do you feel is maybe a pick that could be available? We, we hear, like, potentially the Lakers at 17. Like, what's your your ideal scenario for the Pacers with two picks? So like packaging up and trading up. Yeah. Sure. I, I would say that the Lakers are probably taking that phone call. Um, I think the Mavs are talking to everyone. I think the Dallas Mavericks are entertaining every possible scenario. Um, those two teams are what stick out to me. Maybe the Atlanta Hawks at 15, just in terms of what would be available to them at that range because at 15 you know you you're looking to who's there it's like it's guards right it's case and wallace it's keontae george it's uh you know noah Clowney will be there he's he could extend the floor but um if they didn't want to take that pick that's something else that i think could be available so um probably those three the highest they could get if they wanted a second lottery pick would probably be 10. all right i'm gonna go back to last year's uh draft the pacers had because I know you cover those guys as well, and we've, we've moved on, and I know that we're all excited about what's coming up next week, but <laughs> talk to me about Benedict Mather and the year he had as well as Andrew Nimhard. These are two guys that really contributed well, and I think Andrew Nimhard was one point away from making uh, the second team all-rookie because someone gave Tari East in a first-place team for whatever reason. He got one extra vote that kept uh, Andrew Nimhard out, so that was a little bit of a bummer there for him, but just talk to me about those two guys and what you thought about their rookie seasons in the NBA. Oh my gosh. Politics at its finest, right? Like, yes. <laughs> um, gosh, I, okay. I think Ben learned a valuable lesson and, um, 
not saying controversial things about LeBron, because then <laughs> after you say that, reporters will ask you about it till the end of time. And that's exactly what happened. Like I saw him at All-Star Weekend, and of course we talked about it. He's like, man, I wish I never said anything. I was like, yeah, you are <laughs> You're basically like talk, talking about, you know, LeBron James, one of the best to ever play. I'm like, I don't know who that is. He hasn't done anything against me yet. Like, you cannot say that. Come on, show the man some respect. Um, but I thought he was very productive. I really liked what Ben added to the Indiana Pacers. And Andrew Nemhart, I love him and his brother Ryan so much. Like, they play the right way. They're great playmakers. You just feel safe, you know, as, as a fan when you're watching them play when they have the ball in their hands because they're great playmakers. They're, they're super quick. Like, they're not big, but they make up for that, you know, and, and their decisions that they make when they get downhill. And also their outside shooting. I think both of them are, are great three-point shooters. Just staying on last year's draft class, who's maybe like one or two players that didn't really get to show what we all hoped for last year in the NBA, but you still very much believe in, and as a sophomore, think that they'll, uh, you know, really be able to prove it to the rest of the NBA? Oh, man. Um, that is a great <laughs> question. I mean, I guess, I guess I'd have to go. I'm so focused on this draft. I'm, I'm like thinking back. I'm like, who was drafted? You know, like I, you look at the teams that like purposely tanked and we didn't get to see a lot. I mean, we saw little glimpses of Jay and Ivy, but um, I, I, I expect to see more from Jalen Duran in this upcoming season, just with how dominant he is in the post and his, his defensive rim protection and, and how powerful he is. So he's someone that I'll probably be watching. Um, let's see, Jalen Williams. He was awesome. I mean, I, I'm on, like, I'm just trying to go down the draft board. I can't even really, you guys didn't give me a heads up that we were going to do, <laughs> do a well, recap. What about Dyson Daniels? Because this is a guy that I know you're really know. high on. And it's not a bad thing. I just think the Pelicans have too many guys on the roster. So they really do. And I think they're going to try to offload some of those guys, you know, with the 14th pick. Um, we're hearing lots of rumblings about that, whether that's Brandon Ingram, whether that's Zion, um, which doesn't really make sense to me to offload Brandon Ingram because he's already established. He's already going to give you, you know, 25 and 10 a night. So mm -hmm. why would you offload him to take Scoot Henderson? You want to be better. You would, you know, have a worse season next year, you know? So um, Dyson Daniels, like he's, he's someone I think that he, like the growing pains, like I said, like the jump from where was he, he was at the G league Ignite to the, the big leagues. Like you're right. Too many cooks in the kitchen, probably adjustment there. What he didn't get a lot of playing time. So he didn't get a lot of touches. So it's hard to get your groove and understand where your space, where your place is on the team. So he's probably someone like, I think, you know, when players move around, he's probably someone on, on a second team that we're going to see jump. Hey, you could have took the easy way out and said Chet. Chet didn't get to play. Oh my so, gosh! You know, Why didn't I say Chet? I, I don't of know. It's going to be Chet. Of you course, gave a better it's answer. Be Chet. So we'll take. Yeah. Oh my gosh! I even mentioned the Chet Wimby like <laughs> rivalry is going to be my new favorite thing to watch. Of course, a hundred percent, it's going to be Chet. I totally overthought that. Yes. Yeah, I, you kind of forgot about Chet, but I, I will be, I won't be shocked if Chet is in the running for Rookie of the Year this year, just because he didn't play at all last year and he had a full year to get his body ready. But, you know, it's probably going to be Wimby just because people are going to be so fascinated and he's that good of a player. But uh, let's just talk about this draft class in 2023. We'll go back to the present day uh, Thank you. for you so we can keep you on, on on topic here with what's about to happen. But the depth of this draft, where does it kind of cut off for you? And what do you think is maybe the biggest 
piece of depth in this draft in terms of like position wise and what you're hearing like teams really like about this class? Yeah, I mean, the position wise, it has to be the guards and and the length of at the guard position and what we're seeing um, and the versatility, especially at the top half of the, half of the draft. And you have to remember, there were close to 200 players that removed their name from the NBA draft, um, probably wisely, um, because the next couple of years are if there's going to be a little bit of a drop off. But, you know, I was talking to a few NBA scouts and and <laughs> they said they're like, you know, this was great all the way up into the draft combine, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of guys stay in and we're like, okay, what are we going to do in the, in the second half of the second round? And now that everybody is deciding to go back to school or they withdrew their name, they're going to back to play overseas. There's kind of a drop off at 40. Like after 40, you're like, who, who are we taking? <laughs> like it becomes, all right. Um, it literally becomes best available prospect. And that's probably when you start seeing guys being put on two ways and um, and making deals like that. But um, yeah, I I mean, I agree with the NBA scouts. It's like after 40, I think we're going to start hearing some names like, who's that? You know, <laughs> I, I think so, too. And there's also two less picks in this draft that were forfeited. So right, exactly. it, it makes it even more interesting of like, hmm. So I do think there's probably going to be a lot of draft and stash guys. Um, but it feels like with the Thompson twins, you know, emerging overtime elite is really kind of stepping up and now being another league that you could draw talent from, but just curious, you know, what's your perception of overtime elite? Obviously this, the schedule is far less. The talent pool is maybe not, you know, on the same pace as a college or, or the G league, but do you feel that with the Thompson twins being drafted and say the top 10, we'll call it that this will very much change that perception moving forward. I mean, let's be honest, Amen and Asar would have been top 10 picks no matter where they went, whether they went the college route, whether they went G League, whether they went NBL, like they were going to be top 10 picks. But I will say this, the overtime elite, the fact that they've only been running for three years now and what they've been able to do, I mean, their facility is amazing. The fact that like they can't get great competition in season, they try to make up for multiple pro days and they invite all the NBA teams out there and they run, they have all their player development guys that are former NBA trainers, you know, so they're, they're trying to give these players the best possible avenue. And mind you, like in the fall, when they're allowed to play anyone, they brought in Cameron and Caden Boozer to play against their players. They brought in Bronny James, they brought in Mikey Williams and Jared McCain. So in the fall, they're trying to set them up. They, they send OTE over to Europe. I saw them in Serbia. Like they, they scheduled a exhibition game with the Adelaide 36ers. So they are proactively doing everything that they can to try to get these players the best possible competition to prepare them for the NBA. Um, does it have standing power? I think, you know, time will tell, but they have the right investors around them that want to see them succeed and they're going to get the players. And I think it's just going to become another avenue for players to, you know, possibly make the NBA. That's great. Yeah, we had Damian Wilkins on our podcast last week trying to talk to him a little bit about it, you know, former Pacer as well. So had a good connection there. Um, last question for me. I think that you might be able to elaborate more on this, but are the Blazers making a mistake if they decide to trade pick three to try to get talent to help Damian Lillard? I mean, obviously it depends on what's available, but how how big of a risk is this knowing who could be there to pair with someone like Shaden Sharp, who showed a lot of great flashes at the end of the season. I listen, I'm sure the Portland trailblazers are having lots of conversations, one with Dame to see what he feels comfortable with. And two, like they, they hired Mike Schmitz, who was one of the best in the business 
from ESPN who knows these prospects better than everyone else, right? And he's got all the connections, whether that's overseas, whether that's here in the States, with college coaches, with agents, with everyone. So they're going to try to make the best decision based on, you know, obviously where they're at at three, whether that's Scoot, whether that's Brandon, or if they want to trade with someone else farther down the lottery and bring somebody else in, that just makes more sense. Like if they don't feel like they need Scoot Henderson to be in the backcourt because they already have Anthony Simons, they already drafted Shaden Sharp, then they're going to target the best available prospect. Like I, there's no doubt in my mind that they're not going to make the right pick for their organization because of the people that they've brought in to make those decisions. Yeah, hey, everybody's waiting to see what Portland does because, you know, you talked about, hey, one trade could very much change a lot. And it kind of starts with Portland because, you know, that number one pick is not moving. Then next, that decision at two is going to influence a lot. But as we wrap up, Kristen, you do fantastic work. Thank you for coming on. But please tell everybody where they could find you on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Kristen Peak. I'm on Instagram as well at Kristen Peak, or you can read all my stuff. Uh, on Yahoo Sports. I'm dropping my last mock draft on Monday. So look out for that. (laughs) Awesome, Kristen. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, maybe if you're free, we'll try to get you on after the draft, kind of get your thoughts on what the Pacers did. But uh, if not, we'll do it again next year, hopefully, like we did this time. And uh, I know you're a busy lady. So thank you so much for coming on. And uh, we appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, Fachi, great stuff there by Kristen Peake. Always enjoy having these draft analysts come on and just kind of give us what they're thinking. And everybody's got a different idea of these players, but uh, loved her insight and what she had to say. Absolutely. Love a fresh perspective instead of just, you know, you or I or someone who's too close to what the Pacers should do. Always love hearing from an outside source. And she's been studying these prospects for quite some time. So I, I was excited to hear about some of the things, especially when we talked about the debate between a Taylor Hendricks or a Jarris Walk or even a Sar Thompson, that's when things get interesting. It, it really does. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. There's going to be a ton of more smoke out there as oh, yeah. we are just one week away. So uh, it's always more exciting, the news that doesn't happen, than what actually does. So, you know, we're, we're getting to that point, though, where it's going to be a heavy trade season. Lots of rumors out there about who could be traded. Bradley Beal, Carl Anthony Towns. There's some bigger names that are out there that could be on the move. So, I think this is going to be a pretty crazy offseason, Fachi. And, you know, I'm uh, I'm just keeping my eyes glued on north of the border, the Toronto Raptors. I'm really curious to see how they go about their team building moving forward. Everybody just needs that first domino to fall. And it just feels like this is one of the most exciting times of the year because, look, well, now we're one week out. This is a trade's going to happen real soon. We saw a minor trade happen with, with Denver and OKC, but we're waiting for something a little bit more meaningful. And I think that could probably wait until the draft, but someone's going to be making some moves now. We know with the new CBA in place, teams are under a little bit more pressure to make some moves than in years past. And that has me excited because a team like Indiana has that flexibility that a lot of teams are dreaming about. No, you're totally right. And that's, a rare spot for the Pacers to be in, especially during the draft. So uh, yeah. excited to see what happens here, Pachi. But go ahead and let the people know where they can find us at on good old social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at, at underscore F A C C I. You could find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook, Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok, Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them where they could check us out on YouTube. 
Thanks for the rundown, Fachi. You can find us on YouTube at Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast. And that is a great place to go because we're going to have this interview up on YouTube for you all to check out. Kristen Peek was able to do video with us, so definitely want to put that up there for everybody to check that out and just get her insight on what's going on. But with that being said, Fachi, if you're just hoping that the Pacers don't take Grady Dick at pick seven, then hit me with those three words. Let's go, Pacers! Still love you, Grady. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gon' need a mop. Smooth. Mm-hmm.